Well, this is a Palm Sunday, but I want to uh, look at the Good Friday. We usually do it on Good Friday, but sometimes we're a little bit rushed, so I thought today uh, we would look at what happened on Friday and turn to Psalm 22, if you would. Psalm 22. And I want to speak on the tragedy and the triumph of the cross. The tragedy and the triumph of the cross. You must never forget that what was done to Christ on the cross is what our sins deserved. It's what our sins deserved. Until you see the cross as that which is done by you, you will never appreciate that it was done for you. You caused his shame. You caused the pain. For he was an innocent man, not worthy of any punishment. But as a substitute, he was willing to pay for what he had not done. Jesus Christ died for our sins. For our sins. He had none of his own. Uh, I love what R.C. Sproul said. The glory of the gospel is this. The one from whom we need to be saved is the one who has saved us. We needed to be saved from the wrath of God, and it is God who saves us from that wrath by pouring that wrath on his Son. John Stott said, divine love triumphed over divine wrath by divine self-sacrifice. Divine love triumphed over divine wrath by divine self-sacrifice. Psalm 22 is quoted over 15 times in the New Testament. Some in the early church called it the fifth gospel. Um, it has two parts. The first part describes the tragedy of the cross. The second part of the psalm that you will miss normally, uh, for years I missed it, and it speaks of the triumph of the cross and the festival that he planned even as the darkness is ending on the earth and he cries out, it is finished, in his mind, he was already planning a victory party. And we're going to see this. It's a long psalm, but bear with me while I read it. And you can amen after I read it, because believe me, everything I will read will be infallible. You saints need to learn to amen the Word of God. You may not like the comments, but you better like the Word. And by the way, learn to sing if you haven't learned to sing. Spirit-filled churches sing. Spirit-filled churches sing. This is not the fellowship of the mute. I said this is not the fellowship of the mute. And so you just come in. No, that is all my lands. I've been with 50 saints where we blew the roof off nearly. Do you know what I mean? And this building is terrible for singing, and I'm going to forbid anyone to sit on these far sides. We're going to bunch it together because I want to be a singing church. Yeah. 
Yeah, if we have to do a bunch of hymns, it doesn't matter. Because I see some of you don't sing anything. I don't know how I see you because I'm looking forward. But I just feel it in my spirit. Here we go. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Second question. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were put, not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusted in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You'd made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. He's praying now for help. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And this is quite interesting. In Hebrew, it says, you have saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, a big hinge, verse 22, is going to go to his triumph. Now, watch how the, how the whole thing changes. Right here, right here. Pick up. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. Wait, you're on the cross. How can you be talking about an assembly? I see beyond this anguish of the cross. I see after my resurrection. 
I'm going to gather with some of my people, even if it's on the Sea of Galilee, and fix them breakfast. And we're going to rejoice that I came out of this hour. That's what he's talking about. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Here over here he's saying, where are you? Here he's saying, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Well, you just sat back here. I cry in verse 2, but you don't answer. Which is it? Does he answer or doesn't he? When he's on the cross, there's an old song that says, Beneath the cross of Christ I stand. Don't get beneath the cross in this sermon. I want you to get on it. I want you to see what he saw on the day he was being crucified. And when he's there, he's saying, I cry, but nobody shows up. This is after the light of deliverance starts coming to him. And he starts seeing this is going to end. It's going to spring forth into a resurrection morning. And so he says in verse uh, 24, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. See, once again, he's looking forward. The great assembly. Watch who he envisions at the assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. What, what are you looking to? You're going from the cry of despair to saying, the nations, the nations are going to bow before God because of what I've just done on the cross. Go preach this gospel to the ends of the earth that men from every kindred, tribe, and tongue and society will be there at the marriage of the Lamb because of what I did. There's no marriage of the Lamb unless there's a crucifixion of the Lamb. you got to kill the Lamb before you eat it. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. My, what are you doing, sufferer? You're talking about the earth, the families of the nations. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Wait, dust can't kneel. Oh, when they go to the dust, there's a life after the dust. And God will resurrect them so they can kneel. The dust is not the end of the story. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. When did people start being saved in your family tree? 
my family tree at least 18 centuries went before anybody was saved. What about you? All my ancestors were fighting with the Vikings on the island of Ireland. My mother's people were Irish. So I know that bloodline. She's full blood. Vikings. According to Winston Churchill, they were cannibals. They decapitated people so they could eat them. These are the English-speaking people. This is not Africa. This is England. Future generations. So all of your ancestors, I guarantee in this room, you didn't have one ancestor, most likely, that knew Jesus Christ in the first century. But future generations will know. Future generations will know. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, it is finished. This word, he has done it. Many believe it's equivalent to it is finished. So, if you read Matthew 27, Later on today, you would see probably eight at least of Psalm 22 verses coming right over to the day of crucifixion in Matthew 27. Uh, when he said that uh, he trusts in God, Matthew says, 43, let God rescue him. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew says in verse 46, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God forsake him? Absolutely. This was in fiction. He's not writing poetry. The psalmist is. Some debate this psalm because David wrote it. And they say it is a picture of either personal suffering of the righteous. Some make it a description of sickness. But as Derek Kittner writes on Psalms, <clears throat> this is not a sickness being described. This is an execution being described. This is no mere sickness. And so there is this tragedy that he does feel abandoned. And the righteous have felt this many times. Psalms 13, read through the Psalms, and this question comes up. Where were you? Where were you? What about Mary and Martha? Had you have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Why didn't you show up earlier? There's always a reason for divine delay. You go to the ICU department. You get in the midst of affliction. You get sick and you cry. When will the pain go away? When's this trial going to go away? I've been in the valley too long. My soul is dry. I can't pray. I feel washed out. Why did you take my baby? Why did I lose my wife? Why do I have cancer? Where are you? Where are you? 
When are you going to answer my prayer? I've been praying for my kids for 30 years. When will you answer? It's a human cry of many a suffering saint. If you're too pious to pray that way, the psalmist wasn't. And they sang it when they gathered at the assembly. You wouldn't even dare let us know because you wouldn't look saintly enough. But God is an honest God, and his servants bore their emotions in the song. said, I don't think you even show up. And here this victim is crying out that God the Son says, I'll tell you from my vantage point, I see no God around anywhere. The one I've been hanging out with from eternity past, he had a way of hiding his presence. That is an amazing thing. Remember this. It may scare you, but it's true. Although God is omnipresent, he knows how to make himself hidden. And the Psalms pray, where are you? Where are you? I don't feel near you. I don't feel like you're on this case. I feel like I'm in a desert land. I've been sick for days. Get sick a little bit. Stay home two weeks and nobody around you. You'll be amazed at the thoughts you can get. The depression, the negative thoughts, just from being sick. Just from being sick. And so here we have the cry of one, I feel forsaken. Why? Two, you, you seem so far from saving. If I wanted help, you're, you'd have to take a long trip. I cry, but I find no rest. And then he moves from this, and he says, but I know some things about you, and it kind of bugs me now. When I need help, I'm not getting any, but I know this about you. Uh, I'm straight on orthodoxy. I know my theology. Great. You know, all I need is some of you to come up when I'm in the midst of one of my greatest heartbreaks and say, well, we know it all works together for good, don't we? There's a time to quote theology and the Bible, but sometimes you can find a better verse at a better time. This is what he knows about God. He said, I know you're the holy one and that you're enthroned. I've got you on the throne. I know you're sovereign. I know you can do whatever you want. Good. Good theology. By the way, my ancestors put their trust in you, and we got a record that you delivered them at the Red Sea. You delivered Isaac from an altar. You delivered Abraham out of Ur. We, we got a history of you. You delivered Joshua and the children of Israel in the land. You got a great record, God. You've just been great in the past. You don't seem to be in the present, though. They cried, and they were saved. They trusted, and they were not put to shame. And that word shame means uh, disappointed that you didn't come through. Uh, they trusted you, and, and they were never shamed because you came through. And then he said, I am a worm and not a man, which is, of course, a derisive term of his humility. But what is a st 
strange thing, the worm he uses is the coccus worm. And the coccus worm was the worm they used to dye the tabernacle curtains. It was the crimson color that they got out of that worm. And I hear him say in Isaiah 118, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be red like crimson, I can make them white as snow. I'm going to be God's worm that they get to stomp underfoot. I'll be the worm. I'll be so humiliated, it will be easy to stomp the life out of me. He goes on, all who see me, they mock me. They make fun of my trust in God. He trusts in the Lord, they say, but the Lord, let the Lord rescue him. If God is your father like you say, surely no father would put up with this. Where is omnipotence on crucifixion day? Where is all authority? Where is the power of God when you need it? He couldn't pay for our sins by rescuing the sacrifice from the payment. You've got to have this baby, but there's no epidural. There'll be no help. You can pay for sinners' sins, but I'm going to treat you like their sins deserve. I'm going to give you a taste of hell. I'm going to let you feel the separation that is coming for unsaved men and women who do not know God. It will be total absence of the presence of God. And that he experienced. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You were there at my birth. Uh, you even made me trust in you when I was nursing my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you've been my God. I pray now, don't be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. What a, what a lament and cry of the soul. And now from the cross, he begins to describe what the crowd looked like to him. This is what he saw in the human beings surrounding him, the mob, everything that got him to the city dump and to Golgotha, the place of a skull. He said, this is what I see from the cross. Listen to what he says. He said, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan. These came from probably around Lebanon, the pasture land. A good strong bull could be, you know, two, 3,000 pounds. He said, I see bulls who are really men, but they're like bulls to me. The horns haven't been clipped. Roaring lions that are wanting to tear me apart. They're starving. I'm poured out like water, which means I'm washed out. I'm washed up. My bones are out of joint. I guess so. On that cross, and when you've only got, they had to nail them, and they did strike put straps on their hands so that they wouldn't rip uh, with the uh, spikes. They weren't little nails. They were spikes to hold a 160-pound man, let's say. So they go through here, wrap it, 
But what they did on the cross, they died from asphyxiation and not bleeding. The normal crucifixion time for death would be three to four days. And uh, because the Romans didn't want them to die fast. They wanted extended pain and torture. And so what killed most men on the cross was they couldn't keep their head up anymore. And bowing down, their lungs would be cramped. And so they would die of asphyxiation. The bleeding wasn't, that was meant to stretch it out, stretch it out. And so he is saying, I've distorted, uh, it's hard, uh, I've been beat, I'm weak, uh, my frame is caving in, my heart has turned to wax, my mouth is as dry as dry pottery. Dogs surround me. Villains enclose me. They pierce my hands and my feet. My bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. It's a pitiful thing to suffer and to be an object of ridicule at the same time. To make fun of your poverty. To make fun of your sickness. To make fun of your predicament. It's exactly what Job had to live through. People came in ill-advised, did not know the theological reason why he's going through this. They were totally blind and using human reasoning. You've got to, you must have done something wrong because you can't be suffering ill and not have done wrong. You remember, that's what the Jews felt about the blind boy in John 9. Who did sin, this man or his parents? Jesus said neither, but that God would get glory through healing the boy. They said there must be a cause for suffering, and it must be sin. Well, all suffering ultimately goes back to the Garden of Eden. The race started dying in Genesis 3. You're going to die of something, right? The epitaph said, I told you I was sick. You will die. Whether you die healthy, with a bran muffin in your mouth, <laughs> as you were jogging, at Starbucks, but you will die. You will die. But he says, please don't be far from me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. And Hebrew, you have saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. This is either wild oxen or the horns of the antelope. Some are divided over that. Now, the hen swings right here. Okay, get ready. Boom. We're going to go into a different subject now. Same, same person. But on the cross, he starts looking ahead. And, and he's thinking this. This is what he's thinking about. Besides, 
John, take, behold your mother. Besides telling the thief, I'll see you in paradise. Besides saying, I thirst. Besides saying any of the other seven sayings of the cross, he's in his mind thinking, I can't wait to throw a feast. It was this way. A Jew was told, if you have a victory, if you have a financial gain, if God delivers you from something, you are to go up to Jerusalem, take a sacrifice with you, invite your family and your friends, and you are to have a celebration meal together. And sometimes this would go on for two days. Eat, dance, sing, and rejoice. That's what he's thinking. I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to invite my 11 men that have been scattered from me, and my mother, probably Mary, and Mary Magdalene, that little band that loved him, were around him, probably Lazarus, Mary, Martha. I, I imagine he probably had no more than 25 people. But he said, that will be my assembly. And I'm going to go there, and I'm going to show them my hands and my feet. I'm going to show doubting Thomas that I'm really alive. Touch me, Thomas. And we're going to have a meal together, and I'm going to let them touch me all they want and examine me for 40 days. And then I'll finally ascend, and I won't be seen physically for the next nearly 2,000 years. I'll go to the throne, plan to come back. But this is what I want to do with these men. And my feast will begin on the shore of Galilee and will extend to the new Jerusalem when I throw the marriage supper of the Lamb and invite the nations. Come join me in my victory. That's what he's saying. Watch. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly I will praise you. Now, you know this couldn't have been on the cross. There was no assembly, only an assembly of wicked people. But he said, I'm anticipating. I'm this thing's about to end. I'm going to be on the cross six hours. It's going to end. The party's going to go for eternity. He goes on, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, wait, wait. Why don't you tell them all to start crying? Their Messiah is getting crucified. Oh, sorrow may last for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Rejoicing comes in the morning. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Sounds totally contradictory. Hey, he's emerging from the trial. Have you ever got out of the trial and said, well, I never doubted you in it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm usually making all kinds of promises while I'm in it. Get me out of this. I'll give you the glory. I'll, I won't ever complain again. And you get well, and man, about two days you're acting just like you did before. <laughs> you forget real quick all your vows. Watch, he's going to say, I'm going to pay my vows. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Well, I wish you'd make up your mind. Hey, this is on the other side. When I'm in the valley, I had all my doubts. I'm like John the Baptist. Is he really the Messiah? I'm here in jail awaiting to be executed. I thought Jesus was the Messiah. Go back and tell John he wasn't wrong. 
He's just discouraged. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. He really was right about me. But a discouraged man needs another word. Go tell John, I am who he said I was. I'm the Lamb of God. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. <laughs> Everything I promised you in my affliction, I'll pay. And when they paid the vows, I'm going to throw the feast, supply the food, and invite everybody. Well, who's on your invitation list? Watch this. Watch this. You could, even a Baptist could shout on this if they got it. From you comes the theme of my praise. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live for All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Are you serious? I am serious, the writer would say. All the families of the nations will bow down before. How can this be happening at the same moment? I see victories coming, and the nations are going to be coming and saying, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. You were crucified. They say even when they were coming back at the second advent, and he touches the Mount of Olives, and it splits in two, they begin to wail as a woman who lost her firstborn. And they said, who in the world treated you this way? You've got wounds. He said, I got him in the house of my friends. I paid a visit to the earth. And they sent me back with nail wounds. But that's all right. I'm still your Messiah. Crucified. They never saw it coming. But I was a crucified Messiah. And now I'm going to be a reigning one. I will conquer the enemy. He goes on. Ends of the earth will come. They will bow. Dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. The rich of the earth will feast. The kings of the earth will come. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. They will proclaim it is finished. It is done. You can't do anything to get to heaven that hasn't already been done. This, this is what did it. This is how you get to heaven. And, uh, you know, I see people, uh, uh, they give money, and they almost like they're making down payment on eternal life. Keep your filthy rags. Keep your money. We're not supporting a poor God. He's got a lot of poor works that are struggling. I can't tell you how many uh, donation letters I get a month. Seems like everybody in ministry needs money. Well, you do, right? That's okay. But God doesn't need money. He wants you. And sometimes the only way he can ever find out he's got you is you'll shake loose of some of that filthy lucre and give it to him. Turn money that is a God that he said you can't serve well, if it, you can't serve it, why don't you make it serve the true and living God? 
And here he comes. I am going to do something. What was beautiful about this word, that it is finished, it was a common term used when a criminal had paid for his crimes. When they released him from prison, many times they'd be given a document with everything they served time for, you know, stole, uh, battery, uh, you know, the offenses. But by the time they served their time in the Greek world, before he was released, they wrote at the bottom of the document, tetelestai, which meant paid in full. So that if an officer or another Roman was to pick him up on the streets of Corinth or Rome and say, you've been wanted, you, we know you're a known rascal. Here's the document. I've paid for my crimes. And here the ending note of this psalm is, crimes paid for, sin's debt paid for. It's time to now party and celebrate the victory. Would you come to the party? He, doesn't, he didn't want you to buy the meat. He doesn't want you to pay for a thing. He just wants you to come and celebrate with the one that walked through the cross, felt abandoned, felt devoured by lions and people that were like beasts. But guess what? He's been delivered out of the mouth of the lion and out of the jaws of the dogs. And God has exalted him. And he says, I just want to throw a party with my people and celebrate that even the nations and generations that don't even live in 33 A.D., I want future generations to come to my feast and celebrate what I accomplished. I am grateful that God saved any of my people. 1800s, he started with a German grandfather named Yunt, who was a Baptist preacher in Hell's Bend, Oklahoma. There's a reason they called it Hell's Bend. Outlaws hung out there, out of Locust Grove. They were outlaws, mean. People from Oklahoma were mean. That's from an Okie called my father. They were mean. They needed God. They had Indian religion, moonshine, cattle rustling, and wife beating was a way of life. I said, how did you know if a man got saved? He said, his wife healed up. And he was serious. His kids started being fed because they laid up drunk so much of the time. Because I always fantasized, that's the place where the Bible, oh, son, quit believing myths. We were a pagan lost people. But the gospel found my grandfather. Then it found my mother. My father was a mean man. He needed God. He was a desperately lost man. But I had a mother who knew how to pray. Who in your family did God first touch? 
that the message of the cross would not die in your family tree. How is it going in your family tree? Anybody being saved? Any grandchildren? Any children being saved? The work's not done, is it? Give them all the toys you want. We were talking to some men the other day, and we were talking about blessings, and uh, this one man having struggles, and uh, I'm not sure that I've been blessed like I want to be blessed, and uh, where's God? He didn't, and everything was money. I simply told him, my prayer, the prayer of my wife, is most preachers' kids either turn out to be saints or renegades. Please, please, please save my daughters. Let them find out who the sufferer on this tree was, and may they come to the party. What could you pay for that? Would you rather have another job, making another 200000 and bury one of your kids without Christ? If you just gave a little time, now you can't save them, but you could do everything that helps God save them. You can pray. You can model Christ. Only God can save. But I'm just saying as a thankful dad that God even saves preacher's kids. He even saves your children. And it's all because of the tragedy and the triumph of the cross. And next week, we'll talk about Friday night, I'm going to talk about why he didn't want to drink the cup. And I'll tell you what was in the cup. Friday night, what was in the cup that made him not want to drink it? Sunday, I'll try to figure out something. <laughs> Let's stand. Pray or else you'll be tortured. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's death and his body as we take communion. We just pray, let us celebrate this time together.